Hey everyone, this is Jonathan. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the Evangelicals. We've been thinking a lot about the world, and over the last couple episodes, it feels like we've been talking politics quite a lot. You know, there's the there's a phrase uh, that's popular right now: "Stay in your lane." <laughs> and we're pastors, not politicians. So if the charge would be brought against us, stay in your lane. We we're gonna today we're gonna get back to scripture. Yeah, but it, it's funny because I think the topic actually lends itself to talking about what's happening in the world. Oh, for sure. Like maybe even more so than than what we've even even been discussing the past couple of weeks. I think. Well, and that's the thing about scripture, particularly as pastors, if the scripture has nothing to do with with everyday life, then it is irrelevant. But the reason that we've given our lives to this ministry is that we really do believe that in the word of God, there is relevant, relevant content for everyday living. And I don't know that we dig enough into scripture. Unfortunately, in evangelicalism, I think what we've done is we've given people snapshots. The Romans Road. The Romans Road is not the story of Romans. It's like a select passage to tell you how to like, you know, accept Christ in a very personal, individualistic way. But it has nothing to do with the radical living out of the gospel that is the book of Romans, you know? Right. It's like people that read Romans 13 about government, but you don't read Romans 12 about self-serving love and giving and loving your enemies and overcoming evil with good. And so you got you can only understand the 13th chapter when you read the 12th chapter. So we're, we're just so selective. And one of the one of these ways that we have been selective, I think, in our modern times is as it pertains to prophecy. Whoa. We're yeah. going there? We are. <laughs> prophecy is in some ways taboo, but it's also really kind of cool and fun. But I also think it's very misunderstood. Oh, yeah. So we've had some modern-day prophets over the last couple months come out of the woodwork. Back in uh, November... There were several evangelical prophets that got together and prophesied that Donald Trump had was going well in October that he was going to win the election and the November after election night when it was still undecided prophesying that Donald Trump was going to win the election. Jeremiah Johnson probably one of the more popular names. And these individuals <clears throat> they were adamant about it. God had told them they said that he was going to win the presidency. Well so after he didn't you know, and I, I do realize we may have some some podcast members who would say, well, you know, he did or um, he has one and he's running the country via, you know, uh, we're not going to address we're not going to address the depth of the conspiracy theories. We're just going to talk about what we can see. So I'm sitting in Lima, Ohio. It seems to me that Joe Biden's been inaugurated, that he's the president. So that's what we're going to those are the assumptions we're going to roll with today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so after that didn't happen, though. Jeremiah Johnson came back to his came back to his base and he said, "Listen. There are false prophets and there are false prophecies. False prophecies are when good prophets just miss it. And this is a situation in which I missed it. And I'm sorry, you know, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, a false prophet. And I'm going to add in what he didn't say. Please don't stop giving me your money." <laughs> Because I really have liked this gig, it's, telling you all the good. things that all the things that you want to hear, tickling your ears, you know. But I'm I'm not a false prophet, <clears throat> and this I got to tell you as a as a 
as a minister of the gospel, this just enraged me. Yeah. Because there are people in my congregation that follow this guy. Yeah. This wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very frustrating to me. But it's not and it's not just one. It's people everywhere right. that are prophesying, that are saying things in the name of God that that don't that don't come true or that don't end up actually being. And so today we're going to begin a two-part series about prophecy. Really because because the fact of the matter is, Jeremy, prophecy has played a pretty significant role in the history of evangelicalism in the United States particularly. Well, even in just the life of the people of God, like the the latter half of the Old Testament are all prophets. So it's a big deal just even in the Jewish, you know, context, the Old Testament or whatever that they had these people who were claiming to speak on behalf of God and and so I think that it's always been a part of who we are, which I think is why a lot of people think, you know, maybe it's the wrong word, but it's very sexy. It's very appealing. It's very. Oh, totally. It's very people want. Attractive. Yeah. And and it's just interesting. You know, I people are like, there's this book and and where this guy said he predicted 9-11 was going to happen. It's like, well, why didn't he tell anybody that, you know, <laughs> and then later wrote a book and pinpointing scripture and point pointing, you know, connecting dots and all the stuff. That's that this probably was one of the sickest happen. version of sickest versions of Monday morning quarterbacking <laughs> I've ever heard of. So I just think that, that we, yeah. And I'm guessing there's a lot of things that are said that, that don't come to fruition that, that never get mentioned. But this last one with the, the election has been, it's, it's hard to, uh, to look over that one, I guess. It's hard to miss that, that, Speaking, election happens, still speaking, same thing, January 20th rolls around, and then you're you're having to backtrack a whole lot of things. So just makes me wonder, are those the things that when we think of biblical prophecy that we should be prophesying about, or what does it mean to be a prophet? What does that look like? Um, how do we how do we understand, I guess biblically what what that role, how do we take on that role and what what was the purpose of it? What was the intention of it? And how do we translate that into the year 2021? So we're going to do this. We're going to do this talk about prophecy in two parts. And so for those of you who are wanting to know ex- precisely when Jesus is coming back and exactly what the signs of these times are, according to Revelation and Daniel, the prophet, stay tuned for next time. You're going to have to wait two weeks. So yep, you'll we're yeah. <laughs> we're going to give you all the answers then. Every single one of them. So come back. So you're still going to have to wonder if you've been left behind in the next two weeks. But but we'll, we'll solve all that the next in two weeks. And I, I might perform that song. Oh, cool. The old Larry Norman tune is one of my yeah, favorite. Yeah. One of my Talk favorite tunes. brought it back. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know why it was one of my favorite tunes. It's kind of a sick Dude. Anyway, anyway, but we got to retell that in two weeks your camp story too. And yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll bring it back. It's we're, all coming back. We're, we're bringing going, the oldies back. We're we're going from the seventies, eighties, the nineties, then to the modern day. We're going to tell you all about you know what we can say about you know Jesus coming back or the second coming, which we laugh about that. But the fact of the matter is, we've made such a joke of prophecy that people don't even take seriously the coming of Jesus anymore. And the fact of the matter is he's coming again. Right, right, right. Absolutely. And th- these conversations actually have a lot to are. There's a lot at stake in these conversations. And this is why I'm so frustrated about the current state of prophecy, because I think we've just made a complete joke of it. Well, I think that when the, those things come out and listen, it gets all over Facebook and YouTube and it was, and I think that people who 
already have a negative understanding of what a Christian is or what a follower of Jesus is or an evangelical, it just kind of puts it that much further in the mud, you know, like it just makes us look more foolish. It makes us look more out of touch. It makes us appear to be just um, further off the rocker than people already think we are. And, and so I think we need to have a better understanding so that we can, can, can have better conversations of what that looks like. So let's, let's go back to the Jeremiah Johnson uh, prophecy conversation, those, those modern-day prophets. So he makes the claim that there are false prophets and false prophecies. And he wants to make the claim, I'm not a false prophet. Well, the great prophet that all of biblical prophecy and biblical prophets are kind of measured, measured against is Moses, that first prophet, that great prophet, the one who led the people of Israel out of Egypt, leads them to Mount Sinai, receives the law from God, which is interesting. In Matthew's gospel, we have Jesus coming as a prophet, calling people to repent. What does he do but go up on a hill and give commentary on the law that Moses received from God, right? It's, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful kind of retelling and a recasting of, and, and it's in that, it's in that um, passage that Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. I'm the I'm the great prophet, you know. It's it's amazing, uh, but but so Moses, the the people were asking Moses in Deuteronomy, you know, how do we know after you if a prophet is from God, you know? Yeah. And Moses says these words. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, then the Lord replied to me, "I will raise up for them a prophet like you." So God's talking to Moses, a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. Essentially, God's saying, hey, listen to a prophet. So there's, I mean, there's reason that when somebody stands up and says, you know, I'm a prophet, that the people of God say, well, we've got to pay attention to this because it's in the Bible. Like, right, right. don't just, dis- do not disregard prophecy. This isn't Thessalonians. I mean, don't disregard prophecy. Um, I myself will hold that person accountable who doesn't listen to the prophet. But any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods or who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. Hmm. That's pretty strong. <laughs> no I, uh, being around the bush, though. <laughs> this is why I personally am hesitant to ever say that I'm a prophet. Right. However, we have some people that just are not really concerned with that. Okay, <laughs> let's keep going. Uh, they, shall, they shall die. You may say to yourself, how can we recognize a word that the Lord has not spoken? If a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, but the thing does not take place or prove true, it is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. So, we have these modern day prophets who are saying, ah, oh, man, you guys, sorry, we missed it, but we're not false prophets. According to Moses, kind of the, the gold standard of what prophecy is, these are false prophets. Yeah. And we should all, we should all like completely disregard anything they have to say from here on out. I mean, it, that's how strongly I feel about this. I don't even know why, why we're even having conversations about whether or not we should be listening to these people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just... It's so black and white in the text. And on the one hand, you know, those of us who would listen to prophecy and take it literally, we say, you know, 
every word in the Bible is inerrant. It's infallible. There's nothing in the Bible that's not true. Well, those people who are saying that the Bible is infallible are using the Bible against itself. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's mind-blowing to me. And this is, in many ways, the, like, the great problem of the Bible and evangelicalism right now. It's just this crisis of interpretation. Well, I think, too, that just in a practical level, it's like the boy who cried wolf. How would you ever believe when they said that, no, this is, this is actually a word? Like, how many times are they going to have to clarify, no, that wasn't actually true or a word from God, but no, this, this is, you know? So just even in a, a practical level, how would you believe the next prophecy that they say is, is from the Lord? Um, to to, to kind of carry on that scriptural theme, um, a lot of of theologians link it's it's this is going to be a big theological word, but it's called Deuteronomistic history, and they uh, link Moses, who is kind of a link to Jeremiah, who then jumps to Jesus, and so they're they kind of have the same language and the same verbiage and the same theological overtones through the whole of Scripture that Jesus is kind of connected to Jeremiah and to Moses, and so then Jeremiah carries on this. And in Jeremiah 23, he says this, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. And then he says this, they speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. And so Jeremiah is warning the people like they, these people are saying they have a word from the Lord, but it's actually something that they are passionate about or that they think is important or that they want to happen. And so they're attaching me to it to, to give more validity to this imagination or this understanding that they want. But just know that, that I am not, I can't be co-opted. My name will not be attached to something that that just so that that people will say, oh, no, this isn't just my hope. This isn't just my dream. I'm going to attach God to this to make give it even more validity or what that looks like. Um, and then Jesus carries that on. And Can I we think- stay in Jeremiah? Okay, good. Go, Can go, we go, just go. stay in Jeremiah? All right, go ahead. You were talking about this before the episode. And it really, honestly, Jeremy, Jeremiah, the context of prophecy there is very relevant to today. Right. Because the people of Israel in Jeremiah's time are in a very frustrating political situation. And there were two different parties within the Jews kind of arguing about what's going on. There are some people among the Jews that are saying, no, like we've transgressed God. We are in exile. And our fate right now is to stay here, you know, in Babylon and kind of make the best out of the situation. And then there are others that are, that are saying, no, we've got to, we got to somehow like rise up and revolt against the Babylonians. And there are other that are saying, no, we've got to do everything that we can to move back to Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. It's only in moving back and rebuilding the temple that God's going to like pour out his blessing on us. So you have all of these different ideas about what God wants us to do. As kind of the Christian nationals. Well, no, I'm sorry. That's a that was a very um, what's it? What's that called? Uh, when you a um, Feridian slip. No. <laughs> <laughs> Anachronistic to say to take something out of time. They weren't Christians. They were sorry. I'm I'm, I'm reading, Jewish. Pure. Yeah, I'm reading our context right, back right, right, into okay, the text. Okay, yeah, yeah, so sure, it's sure. the religious nationals. Okay, they <laughs> they all have these different ideas. Well, I mean, this is this is America today. Sure. You know, I mean, we in Christian in Christendom. Uh, if I can even use that term anymore among, I'll just talk about evangelical Christians Mm -hmm. among evangelical Christians. We have all of these different ideas of what God wants of us. Right. There was this guy, um, a couple days before the, 
the insurrection at the Capitol saying that who was a pastor, I think from Arkansas, saying that if it had to be done by force, we were not going to uh, lose the election. Oh, there was a little phrase that he had that was very cute. Steal, like stop the steal. Oh, I think was stop the steal. Was I've the, seen people was the like on, with masks that say stop the steal. Stop the steal. Stop the stealing of our election. You sure. know, and so and and he was saying. I mean, this is a this is a guy who's standing up in the name of God and saying, you know, we need to, you know, take this by by force. And the fact of the matter is, you know, there are people that would say, oh, evangelical Christians. I'm one that would say, I'm one that would say, you know, what happened at the Capitol is not evangelical Christianity because I believe that. But the fact of the matter is, there were evangelical Christians standing up saying, hey, if we got to take it by force, we're going to take it by force. Well, so anyway, so Jeremiah, Jeremiah is the prophet who says. Who says to the people of Israel, you guys, there's not going to be any insurrection. You're not going to rise up. You need to stay where you are. You need to buy houses. You need to allow your children to get married because you're going to be in this for a while, at least 70 years. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, we all talk about Jeremiah 29, 11, one of the favorite verses of evangelical Christianity where, where Jeremiah says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope in the future. But what we don't realize is that's spoken as a promise on the tail end of, of God saying through the prophet. You're going to be destroyed and 70 it's, years. And it's going, to, it's going to stink. Yeah, I, I think what's so, I think a passage that I, I overlooked, and I don't want to say other people did, because maybe they, they see the significance of this one passage that happens in Jeremiah where I think he was prophesying by something he did rather than what he said, is he just told the people, all right, we're going to go into exile. We're going to be destroyed 70 years. Like, it's not going to be a good thing. And, but he does something. He, he buys a piece of land knowing that they're going to be overtaken. They're going to be sent into exile, but believing that they're also going to come back and that his people his family's going to have a this this land that he's buying. So he's literally doing something saying, but I believe that that God's promise is true. Like we're we're getting ready to this is going to happen because of of how we are living and choices that we have made, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit. But I also believe that God this is the land that God promised Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so I'm going to buy this piece of land knowing that I'm never going to live here but I'm buying it because I know that one day God's going to bring us back and we're going to return. And, and so I think like, like I said, I think sometimes I read it and like, why did he buy a piece of land? But I think he was in, in, in a way trying to show the people or tell the people like God's covenant is still true. God's promise is true. And, and I'm going to buy this as a symbol that, that this isn't going to be forever. That, that God is still going to be faithful. And so he buys a piece of land so that when his family returns, they'll have a place to live. You know, like it's yes. just kind of this, this beautiful thing that, that once again, I think I've read over is like, oh, great, he bought, you know, bought a piece of land. But it has all of this other symbolism that I think we miss sometimes. And it wasn't a, an, we're going to win this election. God's not going to let us be overtaken. It was more of, no, we've probably made some decisions that has led to this, but I'm hopeful. And so I'm going to buy this piece of land that maybe even my kids won't live on, but I'm doing it for, right. I'm going to plant this seed of hope in the midst of all the despair that, 
that things can get better. You were going to take us to Jesus. And just before you do, I one of my um, favorite elements in studying Greek, which I did not do often, and I'm not a great Greek scholar, but there was a season where kind of when you're in the language, you know, in seminary, we were reading a lot. And it struck me in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the prophets begin the same way that John begins his gospel. So John begins his gospel, in the beginning was the Logos, mm. the Word. Mm. The prophets all began in the Greek Septuagint with the Logos came to Jeremiah, the Logos came to Jonah. And what John is doing in opening his gospel, yes, he's hearkening back to Genesis in the beginning was, right? Saying that this Logos, this reason, this intelligence, who is Jesus, was present at the beginning of creation, creating. Yes, he's saying that, but he's also saying this word of God, this Logos that came to the prophets, this manifestation of the character and being, the voice of who God is, the creative force is manifested in the person of Jesus. And essentially John's saying all throughout his gospel, this is the prophet. This is the ultimate prophet. John the Baptist lays down and says, you know, kind of lays down authority and says, you know, this, you know, um, the, the one who comes after me is greater than I, you know, I must become less. He must become greater. Uh, and this is, Jesus is is the ultimate prophet. You were gonna you were gonna take us from kind of this. You started this thread saying it kind of you know began in the beginning. It goes through Jer- with Moses, Deuteronomistic history goes through Jeremiah, but then Jesus. Yeah, and I, I so Jesus when you hear Jesus talk and you read Jeremiah and you read Moses, you see just this constant thread that goes throughout all of Scripture, and and Jesus is using a lot of that language. And so you read from Deuteronomy and from Jeremiah. Um, and then you have a passage from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus talks about this very specific thing. But one thing that I think is interesting is Wesley, um, when he was talking about Jesus, he said Jesus had three offices or threefold office of, of Christ. And one of them was that Jesus was the prophet and and the priest and king were the other two. And But we don't understand that that what Jesus was doing and I think when we get into the second part of this podcast today, maybe even understanding Jesus more and what he was about is going to be even more elevated or um, maybe maybe an aha or maybe just will expand the understanding of who his life may take on more meaning and not just his death. Well, yeah, and spo- spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> Revelation says the spirit of Jesus. We are building up the second half <laughs> of this podcast. And it is either going to be a big letdown or it's going to be Dude, this is interesting. Mar- this is marketing, man. We got to get, we got to, we're trying to get people to fund us. We got to, we're trying to, you know, up our game here. So we, we're either going to be the biggest letdown or it's going to be like, oh, that's interesting. But yeah, Revelation says the spirit of Jesus is prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? But I, I would just say traditionally in evangelical circles, we focus on the death of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge aspect. Well, sure. That that priestly connection to God and making a way for us to have that. But but Wesley said there's two other ways that, that we have to understand who Jesus was. And prophet is is one. And we don't we don't lean into that. And, that, and Wesley would say... Jesus's biggest prophetic teaching is the Sermon on the Mount. And in that in that passage, Jesus says these words. This is Matthew chapter 7 starting in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 
you will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruits. One of the things that I appreciate about uh, the Church of the Nazarene historically is the Church of the Nazarene was birthed in the early 20th century when there was a lot of radical teaching. Fundamentalism was was um, really taking off. People were were deciding whether what church they were going to be a part of, of based on whether or not churches had a premillennial or postmillennial understanding of the eschaton of the end. That meaning whether or not they were preaching hard that Jesus is coming again and the tribulation is coming, or if they were preaching, you know what, the the kingdom is coming and we are we are kind of inaugurating the coming of Jesus. So there was a lot of argu- arguing going on. The early part of the Church of the Nazarene, uh, one of our leaders was Phineas Brzee, and he refused mm-hmm. to fall into the trap of one side or the other. Yeah. He very much stayed on the fence as far as it pertained to biblical prophecy because he was looking at all these prophets around him, many of that were false prophets, and saying, I don't know that I want to build a denomination right. <laughs> on the back of one idea of prophecy or the other. But for Brzee, what ought to be indicative of Christianity was the fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right. not the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were the radical things of healing and prophecy. And, and now there are people that would critique um, the Church of the Nazarene. The Church of the Nazarene took Pentecostal out of their name after being a denomination for about a decade because it was so much associated, because that word was so much associated with kind of the radical, the 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 snake handling in you know Appalachia, the um, the the tongue speaking, you know, uh, and 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 um, even kind of these understandings of the end, but but really, uh, the the denomination made the made the decision to say we're we're going to focus more on, in in our ethics, the fruit of the spirit, yeah. because the greatest way to judge any work of the Spirit is the fruit of it. Yeah. What fruit is it bearing? This is Paul in Galatians five. The fruit of the Spirit are these, you know, love, joy, peace. These, all of these things, right? And we are lifting up prophecy today because it's definitely a biblical. It's a biblical reality, and it's very relevant to us, and we need to consider it seriously. However, Jesus warns to be cautious when it comes to prophecy, and many wise saints throughout history have also warned that we be cautious as it pertains to prophecy. So I guess the, the question is, how do we understand biblical prophecy? Like what were the Old Testament prophets doing? What was Jesus doing? What, how do we start to grapple with having a better understanding of the role the Jeremiah's and the Isaiah's and the Ezekiel's played? And, and, and maybe Here's just this just go like this. Maybe the, their goal or their what they accomplished was not future telling. They weren't looking into a crystal ball saying this is this is what's going to happen in the future. Um, but maybe it had more to do with the present. And because of what was happening in the present, they were then able to say this is this is the out. This is what's going to happen. Um, 
I don't know. Is that is that a good launching point into trying lo- to understand biblical? I love that. Okay, so I think that so I've actually done this. I've done this with students. I've done this with a congregation where I've asked the question: When I say biblical prophecy, what do you think? And to your point that you just made, I always always have gotten the response: future telling, yeah, or fortune telling. Yeah, the idea that that a prof a prophet is a seer is one that um that speaks things into being that do not exist yet. And that is possible. Um, Not only is it possible, I mean, Peter stands up at Pentecost and essentially says what the prophet Joel was doing was foretelling this moment. So it's not like that's not a part of biblical prophecy because it's there. This idea of speaking, speaking the future is is in the Bible, you know, and I mean, and Jesus does this. I mean, he prophesies. Um, we understand uh, his words in Matthew. I think um, where he says, "Not a stone is going to be left on top." You know, and the fact of the matter is, in seventy A.D., the temple was demolished. I mean, there is this element of like you look at the Bible and you are like, "Oh man, that was you know prophesying something that was going to happen." But the prophets, the 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 canon of Scripture where we get prophecy, you are right, is not just about speaking far into the future as much as it is about addressing the people of God in their particular situation and warning them of what could be. Prophecy was a very open thing, not a very decided thing. Because the fact of the matter is, in Old Testament prophecy, you always get the caveat, but if you turn to God, but if you do this, this doesn't have to be a fixed reality. Nor is this nor is this going to be a fixed reality, right? That's one of the dynamics of prophecy is that we we read prophecy with such a um, how should I say kind of fixed or um, fundamentalist reading of this is exactly the way things are going to be, where really prophecy is kind of this open ended choice in many senses. Hey, here's the doom and gloom that's coming to you if you continue in your ways, but if you turn to God, things will be different. I mean, this is. This is Nehemiah. This is Josiah. This is these are the people that are, you know, calling the people to reform. So I think that maybe a better understanding of what a biblical prophet was wasn't this future teller, you know, crystal ball looking into this is this is coming but more of a, like a, a revealing of what was actually taking place. Oh, that's good like a pulling back the curtain, like life can get busy. We look at things from a perspective and trying to peel back the curtain to say, this is how God sees it. This is what's actually happening behind. Like, um, you, you are, are so focused. You think this is what's going on. Here's how God sees all the things that are going on. And so how, and so a prophet is saying, this is what's actually happening. And as people of the covenant, people who are living for this king, people who are are seeking to be everything that God wants them to be, well, here's what's 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 let me pull the veil off your eyes. Let me show you the reality of the situation. And and because this is actually what's happening or what's going on, um, if you don't change your ways and repent or turn to this God then then this is this is the future <laughs> the consequences will be real um but 
one thing I love about the prophets, a, a continuous theme is always God's love for the people like that, that he's frustrated with the people. He's, oh, yeah. he's concerned, but he always wants the best for them and, and always is offering like, it doesn't have to be this way. You have a choice, but but don't fool yourselves into thinking that everything is great because when you open the curtain or when you peel back the the layer or whatever, I want to show you what's actually happening, the reality of the situation. So your your point to me brings up the the authority of the prophet. So here's what was interesting about ancient Israel is that there was this paradigm of Moses. One and done. I mean, if what you say is not true, like you're not a prophet of God and we're not listening to you anymore because of such a high level of kind of esteem for the authority of the prophet. And prophets were crazy people. They were not, um, <laughs> there There were prophets that lived with kings and palaces that told that tickled the ears of the king and told them what they wanted to hear, right? But then you get people like Elijah who show up and say, hey, here's what's gonna happen. And they're running for their lives. Because what they have to say is often it's not good news. And Jeremiah was ridiculed and and people yes. hated him. Yes. And and people and, and so I think as we are living, it's it's interesting because I think true prophets in our day are also not well received. They're they're not part of the mainstream as far as being welcomed in. But most often are people who we look at and think, how dare you challenge my challenge status quo me or tell me I'm wrong or tell me I'm not living the way that God would want me to. And the, that's what the false prophets of, of Ahab were doing, right? They were telling him what he wanted to hear, right? You're great. Yeah. Everything's fine. But, but honestly, you know, like even you think of Nathan coming to David, he didn't just come out I think he was afraid. Oh, he was terrified that David, David had could just, have him. What <laughs> David had just killed Uriah. So he I tells mean, him a story. Yes. And so I think honestly, that's another way the prophets try to get the people to really hear them. Yes. That if they just came out and said, "You all are a bunch of knuckleheads," and God is very displeased with you. So I think that's why a lot of the language the prophets use is they're trying to at least bring the people into the story before they drop the hammer because they wanted the people to hear like they I think they really heard for the people and 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 wanted the best for the people because that's what God wanted and so I think that that sometimes I don't think it's much different today with prophets than it was for Jeremiah. And and I have some examples, but you wrote something down. I, I do want to, I want to talk a little bit about the, the problem for me with the conflation of evangelical Christianity and politics yeah. is definitely, it meets here at this idea of prophecy. So what we've done is we've, we've listened to leaders like Franklin Graham, like James Dobson, who have told us, you know, Trump is the leader from God. Okay. And so then we've we've kind of we've given him the authority to be the truth teller for the people of God. If we listen to these people that say this is you know the leader from God, well, prophets in the Old Testament. I'm going to kind of jump back and forth between the Old Testament prophets and like our current day. Old Testament prophets, in some ways, were the newscasters. They were the people reporting. Here's what's happening. 
they were the people telling the story. It was very, I thought that was a great description that you gave of the people kind of lifting the veil. Essentially what the prophets were saying in the Old Testament was, the other stuff you're hearing, it's fake news. Whoa. That's what the, <laughs> that's what the prophets were doing. Yeah. They were saying that stuff in the, that stuff that you're hearing is fake news. Here's the real story. Yeah. Here's what's going on. And what does Trump say? Or what was he saying all the time? What was he ridiculing his entire time in office? The fake news. Because the fact of the matter is, if you can persuade the people that your side of the story is true, they'll follow you. Particularly religious people. Because we have this history of lifting up this idea of prophecy. Well, the problem with conflating... <laughs> conflating like God's chosenness with godless people it's that you find yourself in a place of crisis of like absolute identity crisis where you know you you put all of your eggs in the basket of like this being you know the truth of God when it's actually like like four or five steps away from having any authority of God right and and so today what's happened is and I've just seen this in in my evangelical subculture is that all of a sudden we've got we got ourselves to a place where Fox News was the truth. And this I would just have kind of baffling conversations with people over the last four years, like in which they really were were believing that the that the enemy was whatever liberal news network and that, you know, your um What's what's Pat Robertson's thing? TBN, CBN, CBN, Christian Broadcast. Yeah. Network. So if if it's not coming from CBN or Fox, like it's not the truth for the people of God. These things are for the people of God, and which, like, you guys, all of those are for profit networks. <laughs> like they're all they're all f like CNN, MSNBC, Fox, CBN. They're all for profit false prophecy networks. Okay. The prophets in the Old Testament they didn't make a dime. They lived in the desert. They were they were sought after to be killed. Like, if you're a prophet from God, it's not good for you. Yeah. Right? Kenneth Copeland, after the election, he goes to his church and like someone possessed with a spirit, just starts cackling and laughing and saying, There's you know the They're liberal, saying Biden won. They're saying that, Biden won the election. Starts ha 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 and just laughs and laughs and yeah. laughs. And I mean, it's creepy. Yeah. But but Kenneth Copeland is one of the richest pastors in the history of the world. I mean, this is a guy who has built his entire empire on people sending him money. Um, I heard of a um a couple recently in in over their head in debt sent him over two thousand dollars with the promise that, you know, if they sewed into his ministry then they'll get out of debt. Didn't happen. Yeah. Didn't happen. That's a false prophecy. Right. But th this is where we've gotten ourselves as, as kind of like an evangelical culture with that we've outsourced authority to these big mega personalities that are all for profit, that are taking money from us. Mm -hmm. And somehow we think that they're representative of the voice of God to culture and they're not. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Some of them aren't even in sheep's clothing. They're just straight wolves. I think that, yeah, I, so this, this makes me think of a lot of things that, that I think the way the church recovers this idea of prophecy. So when I was in um, college, I was probably in one of my preaching classes, or I don't know which class, but 
they they went were as bold as to say like the Hebrew word for prophet is is navi, and basically it was a good person that gives a word from the Lord, and they in essence made this correlation to what a pastor does when he's preaching from the text is this is a word from the Lord, mm-hmm. and and it's funny because we don't we 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 want to say we're not prophets. But I think when we say that, we're saying it in the sense of we're not future. To, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like we want to run from that on some level in, in a, yeah. a a healthy way because we don't want to be associated with these fortune tellers. Right. But what to me is the role of a pastor, the role of the church is to pull back the veil on culture and yes. say, this is really the yes. truth and what's actually going on. And yet it's becoming harder and harder to to get people to believe that what you're speaking is the actual truth yeah. if it goes against what they are consuming every other day of the week. And so that when a, a pastor stands up or a church is in the community, we should be that voice that is looking at all of the things that are happening and saying, this just isn't true. Like as 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 a person of God, as a person who claims to be an evangelical, as a person like this is what's actually happening in the realm of who we think God is and what God wants to do in the world. And, and I don't know about you, but it's just becoming harder and harder and harder to, to get people to see that or, or to sometimes to even feel comfortable even saying it because the minute you speak against something, um, you, you are running the risk and 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 this sounds terrible, but of, of they, them leaving the church or them saying, you know, just having conflict. Uh, I, I saw a Facebook post, um, MLK Day, right, was last month, and we're in Black History Month. But uh, that the post went something like this, and and this person's pretty conservative. Um, loved MLK. Wish we had somebody today that did what he did. Oh man! <laughs> and so I was like. Somebody that offended me so much, I would want to shoot him. Exactly. <laughs> right? I mean, but Somebody the person doesn't realize, they don't realize, yeah. was here. Yeah, yeah. They're not going to be propagating what you think they're going to be propagating. <laughs> like, people And there it, are yeah. people, there are MLKs today. Yes. But, but we don't like them. Exactly right. Because they are speaking a narrative or a word that we don't like because it calls to question my beliefs and yeah. who I want to vote for and what that looks like. And my so, way of life. Yeah. Um, it's the whole idea. Uh, a guy named Russell Moore, who's under conflict, you know, he's getting destroyed right now by. Um, he works for the Southern Baptist Convention, but he's getting murdered because he's speaking against stuff that's happening well, in not, culture. Not legitimately murdered yet. Like, like, could MLK, be. yeah, yeah, it could happen. But Figuratively, he's, still alive. he's, yeah, he's getting still alive. destroyed. Yeah, um, yeah. So, anyways. He, he preached a sermon that says, um, you know, when Jesus says you decorate the tombs of the prophets, but he says, but then Jesus says, the thing is, is you don't honor what they talked about who you should be as the people of God. And so Russell Moore's, um, Dr. Moore's probably be more professional, um, said the reason you decorate the tombs of the prophets is because they're not here to speak to you anymore. And that if they were here telling you what they did back then, uh, you wouldn't like them as much and you would probably kill them just like exactly your fathers right. did. Yeah. And, and, and so we, we can say we like MLK because guess what? He's not here to say the things that he was saying and we can say, Oh, he was great. He was this. And it's like, yeah, but if he were here, you might have a different opinion of, so we want to celebrate. We want to decorate his tomb, but we really need to listen to what he said 
because that might be the because he was peeling back the veil of what was actually going on in the time. Right. And there are people peeling back the veil of things that are actually happening and how our society actually functions and what it looks like and how it's wrong and how we need to change and shift and transform. But we're not listening because it is in may infringe on or or make me feel maybe guilt or shame and I have to deal with that and I don't want to. So I just push them aside and call them liberal or call them whatever I want to call them um, because it makes me feel more comfortable and I can continue living the way that I'm living, consuming the, the, the media that I want to consume and feel okay about it and attach God to it or God can somehow be a piece of it, but not the whole. Um, and so to me, I think the church is, should be a prophet, not a future teller, but one who is continually peeling back the layers of what's actually happening in society and saying, this is what you're hearing. This is what you're thinking. This is what God says about all of these things. Now, how do we be the people of God in the midst of where we find ourselves? And, and so we need to reclaim that role. We need to reclaim that function. Um, not the future teller, not the, the, Jesus is coming back in the year 2024 on October the 8th at 8 p.m. Are you predicting that? <laughs> Tune in Sorry. two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no. That's, right. that's right. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, we don't need to reclaim that idea of prophet because I don't even think that's what the biblical prophets were. We need to reclaim the idea of, hey, if we continue down this path, like this, this is potentially what's coming, you know, like, but God loves you and God loves us. God wants the best for us and for the world. And we could be that different voice, that prophetic voice that says, this is what you're seeing. This is what you, you think's happening. But when we understand who God is, this is what actually is taking place and how we should be a different voice, a different, a different perspective in our culture and in our land. Yeah. To be continued. To be continued. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. 